a Dadsnet original podcast. Welcome to season three of the Diffability podcast, brought to you by the Dadsnet and Get Cycling. All kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash Diffability to find out more and to book your own demo. I'm Paul and this is Michael. Hello. And we are parents to four children. Our youngest boys are Lawton and Lanson and our eldest twins Levi and Lucas who are diagnosed with autism and epilepsy along with other complex disabilities. And together we are the Atwal Bryce family. In this podcast we'll be taking a look at a range of different conditions that could affect your children and speaking to experts from various organisations to get you the best advice out there. In this episode, we are talking about something very close to our hearts, autism. Autism awareness is on the rise largely thanks to the role of social media can play in symptoms detection and building community. One particular Instagram account we have followed for a while, so we decided to have a catch up to share some experiences and tips on raising children with autism. Today we've got a beautiful young lady Andrea with us. Now, Andrea, I'm going to let you introduce yourself so everybody knows who you are and what story you've got to tell. Okay, so I'm Andrea. I'm 36, very young, 36. Um, I live in the Northwest and I have an Instagram page that is under the name mummyandher3.autism, which I use to share the day-to-day life of our family, which involves neurotypical and neurodiverse individuals. My son is neurodiverse. He's Oliver and he's five and he's diagnosed autistic, but also has um, sensory processing disorder. He's under um, investigations for PICA. Um, He fits under the umbrella of ADHD. But yeah. that is another another story where you try and get these diagnoses, but they want to fit everything under the autism umbrella as opposed to giving them separate diagnosis. Um, and then I have my youngest daughter. She is three and a half, Lily. She is neurotypical. So we have both sides of the journey. So we have the child that most people expect to have when they decide to have a child. And then we have a child which has been an absolute blessing to us. Um, and But his neurodiversity has taught us so much about ourselves, my husband particularly, because um, he himself has gone through a bit of a journey in seeing a bit of himself in Oliver and understanding who he is. And he yeah. had no idea about that really. So, yeah, and I just share a lot of very positive, you know, but realistic side of autism family life and what it's like for my son and it's like us as parent carers to my son as well. So we first met you, we've met you at the BAPS was, haven't we, and you won the Best Newcomer. I did, your, yes. Your, um, your Instagram page is like really popular, isn't it? Do you get, do you get a lot of questions and a lot of people um, DMing you and stuff on that then, Andrea? Do you get, is it like really busy? Yes, very, very busy. Um, The past six weeks has been kind of quite a struggle because it's been some holidays to kind of keep up with the, I wouldn't say a backlog, but it has built up a lot because you do get a lot of parents, you know, I set this up when I, Oliver was two to three years of age 
And I spent, you know, a whole year prior to that trying to find accounts that were similar to my son. You know, yeah. there are there are different accounts out there and there's some fantastic accounts, but I couldn't find one that was like my child. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the time autism, you know, it's grouped under very specific things, but every single autistic child is different. So I now have this account where I have a child who's an extremely passive aut- autistic child. What I wasn't listened to in the beginning because he was so passive, because he wasn't um, frustrated with his lack of communication, because he walked so early. You know, there's lots because he was very physical, because he ate food. You know, there was a lot of things that were brushed aside um, that didn't necessarily fit into, you know, a boy a boy's typical autism journey. So yeah. I get a lot from parents who are very similar and say, oh, you know, I found a child who's kind of like mine, you know, and seeing me now with Oliver being five, it's given a lot of parents that hope when they're in the really tough times because I've been through really tough times um, with Oliver and my husband has as well. And we've come out of the other side of that through fighting. And I sh- I also share a lot of information about things people don't know about and you're not told about, things like funding, you know, support systems because that you're very much left to your own devices you get an autism diagnosis and then it's like see ya bye bye um here's a book here's a little booklet and off you go so i share all of that and i get a lot of families contacting me about how to go about that process how to be strong that's a lot of it you know they just they just are so tired with the fight because you know it's emotional enough you know coming to terms with um, you know, the autism diagnosis journey for a lot of parents, you know, that it tends to be a lot of parents that are going through that realisation that I get messages from. And then it's the parents then of where do I go? What do I do? I need help. So, yeah, it's it, I get an array. And thankfully, I don't get a lot of negative things apart from the odd photo video that might go a little viral. And then you've just yeah. got to have a very thick skin with it, really. Yeah. I think um, I've had a really good look at your Instagram page. And what strikes me is how emotional, in such a nice way, your videos are. They're very clear to understand. And they're very clear to understand Oliver, if that makes any sense, without getting bombarded with ASD and talking about behavioural difficulties and all those kind of things, it's very clear to actually see what somebody young with autism can be like, who's non-verbal as well. It, does that make sense? I mean, you Yeah, know, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, so many people have no idea. They have this preconceived, you know, yeah. notion about what autism is and what it looks like in a child and what it looks like in an, an, an adult through yeah. media, through films and so on. And it's, you know, it's breaking down that that stigma of, you know, it's what, not... What I, sorry, what I love the most about your page is Oliver's emotions and how he's so loving. Oh, my goodness, yeah. That, that, he's like... That, <laughs> that breaks down so many barriers because people presume just because they have autism, they're not affectionate, they can't show love. They can't get close to people. Uh, there's still a big stigma about children that have autism want their own space, don't want to be near anybody, don't want to do this and don't want to do that. And your page shows the complete opposite. 
And we often get asked a lot of questions. So how come Levi and Lucas are very affectionate? But we we worked hard at that as parents to get that because we need that as parents as well. And I think you would agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, 100 um, percent. I'm a very, very affectionate person with my children and my husband is like a thousandfold to that he is the most affectionate man you will ever meet in your life he loves a cuddle and ever since Oliver's been born you know it's just something that's so instilled in our family life and family value you know but also at the same time Oliver craves that comfort he he wants that cuddle he comes over and he wants to create connections and it is breaking down this idea that autistic people don't want relationships, don't care, don't have those feelings that that we all do. You know, the boy absolutely melts my heart all the time. And I had a, I had a worry when I had my daughter because even still I didn't know what to expect in their relationship. You know, in my yeah. mind it was always this is what it should look like, but I was in a situation where I had no idea. And then he's absolutely blown us away and – He's so affectionate and so loving towards her. They're like little best friends now. I mean, he didn't want anything to do with her for like the first year. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, it wasn't all like he loved her from the minute she was born. He he didn't acknowledge her for a good year. But that's part of the transition. That's part of, you know, getting used to something before Lily. He was, it was just the three of us, you know, yeah. um, and he was so loving and caring. And then it's just taking that bit of extra time to let, Lily into his world and that's what it's about it's about going into his world and when you're in it you're in it and he's you know your best friend and he gives the biggest smiles and cuddles and kisses and everything like that so how have you found it personally Andrew you know from being born to the diagnosis to like finding a school placement and and stuff that's suitable for for Oliver how have you found that journey so the first year of Oliver um he seemed to be developing typically. It was not obvious because he because he crawled at six months and he walked at nine months, you know, and I've got videos and he's looking and he's laughing and, and he was a good baby, you know, like I've got like the bunny ear things. He was a good baby and I loved it. It was like the best thing in the world and he was like, we'd laugh all the time and stuff like that. And it wasn't until he, he sort of wasn't saying any words really and then he and then he didn't point and then he's not waving and there was these little things where the red flags start to show essentially yeah. I found that the hardest part because I blamed myself that's all I did I just yeah. had this internal blame I was like what am I doing wrong this is all my fault I why can't yeah. what are all the other parents doing and it was a lot of internal um sort of stress on me and then I found out yeah. I was pregnant with my daughter and I was trying to seek out medical and professional help just to see if I wasn't you know sort of going a bit insane and yeah I was kind of made to feel like I was yeah I was made to feel like I was being dramatic if you know and and that I wasn't speaking to my child I've, I've had professionals tell me to to talk to my child you know can you imagine yeah. how how yeah. heartbreaking that is to be told so, just when to it, talk when to it, I, the red book then and they were ticking what they're doing and stuff and the baby way clinic is that when it kind of were cropping up then that is not waving and, you know, not meeting the milestones? First, the first year check, he, he flew through that. There was no, they didn't give anything. It was me that actually um, approached the health visitor and said, I need someone to come and assess my son. 
And yeah. it was very like, oh, he's a boy. Oh, you know, it's this. I had I requested the two-year check early and every single pointer on the social communication was just so far behind where he should yeah. have been. You know, all his physical was fine, but everything else was was and then I knew that. I knew that. And um it was kind of good for me to see it. But even still then it was, we'll wait. We'll wait and see. We'll take we'll send you to Chatterbox, which is a, a local group where they sit and get you to blow bubbles at your child like you've never done it in your life, sort of thing, <laughs> and say, Bubbles, bubbles. You know, and I've been doing that for two years and yeah. um there were, you it's know, quite, it, it's quite patronizing into it when they're almost insulting you as a parent that you're not doing all that already and that's why they're not speaking. And it, that side of it needs to change, doesn't it? 100%. It really, really does. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I was sent on a parenting course and <laughs> I was heavily pregnant and I sat there in this room being told to just do the most basic things. And I felt humiliated. I didn't go to the next one. I actually said, <laughs> I said, I said, I'm not feeling very well. I'm heavily pregnant. So the person actually came to my house and then recorded me interacting with my own child to tell me what I could be doing better. And I, and then the, the actual feedback was, you're doing everything fine, actually. I don't really know what they expected. I'm yeah. not sure what yeah. they expected. But that that must have been very difficult for you because I do know you're actually a qualified teacher, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am, from yes. a, from a, Are you qualified in primary or secondary? Secondary school and A-level. Uh, I've worked in primary schools as well. Right. So from an educational point of view, yourself, where people are telling you how to interact with your child, from a teaching point of view, you must have felt like you were going crazy. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it was, it was, you know, in a way I was kind of going, tell me what, what I'm doing wrong, be, you know, tell me what it is. And then, but then yeah. the other side of me was so conflicted going, this is insane. Of course I'm yeah. doing everything fine. Of course. Yeah. I, and by having Lily now, my sanity has returned because I have done so much less with her in terms of, you know, intensiveness talking and stuff. And she is absolutely flying through every bit of progression. She's flying through. And I was in such a just dark place for myself and the blame. Nobody lifted it up from me. Everyone just kept putting more on me. It was always, someone's yeah. going to tell me soon it's my fault. Somebody's going to do this to me. You know, and I had to very like, sort of keep myself quite guarded in that time. Because it is really sad and you do blame yourself and, there wasn't the professional help that should have been there. I, you know, I wasn't listened to. And, and she said that does really need to change because no parent wants their child to struggle. Yeah. It's not, you know, you don't, they don't want you to just go give them, give them any label or so on. That's not what this is about. You know, everybody yeah. wants to sit and talk about how amazing their children are yeah. doing or, you know, and I noticed when I was in play groups, that was a big thing people would sit and talk about how great their children were doing. And then the minute I would say, oh, Oliver's not talking or Oliver's not this, they would look at me like, oh, well, you must be, you know, you must be a terrible parent in your head. You know, they would judge me as well. And in play groups where they, you know, they wouldn't come near me anymore, parents, you know, they wouldn't me message me in the group chat or anything like that because Again, it felt like such a blame culture. She must be doing something. She must be ignoring yeah. a child. She must be, you know. Yeah. So 
That did, was. Um, did you ever get referred on to the <coughs> the early bird program then, um, Andrea? No, I don't know what that is actually. Uh, so it's uh, it's run by the National Artistic Society. Well, I think it's catchment areas, isn't it? Yeah, well, it were our paediatrician, though, wanted to put us on that. And that will very much go into a group of parents like us with children that were going in for the diagnosis because the boys were diagnosed age three, so that were quite young as well. And we got referred on to that, and that was the first time we kind of felt normal, wanted that other kids weren't sleeping at night time and they were refusing food and they were having meltdowns. And that, that were when we kind of felt normalised, but... That 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 really helped us, didn't it? I think they, that that was that was a um, a point where it could kind of turn on its head because we learn how to get into their world, and I yeah. think as soon as you realise you can do that, and once you get into their world, it's a very different world. Yeah, and I'm sure you would agree. With I think we we so. like really can take on a lot of what you say and we can like that's been to us so even now with the boys so they're both still um double incontinent and the um incontinence nurse all said to us and school have you tried sitting him on the toilet and we'll and just like, we'll just go <laughs> like you want to be changing nappies all your life or you want the boys to be in nappies i know this is the same this is the thing yeah. isn't it it's just like oh no i really no, want to yeah, be doing like, this for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, we haven't put him on the toilet and we haven't tried to stand him over. To t- I mean, we've filled him up with juice and like a Tom syringe in it and filled him up with juice and stood him over the toilet just so they'll have a wee. But it just don't click and it's not going to click because that's how they are. And then you just yeah. get insulted by professionals like that time and time again. Quite a lot oh, of these professionals often don't have children themselves. <laughs> I always refer to them as textbook Teresa's. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. Um... Oliver's paediatrician, I call her one of those. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, here we are, textbook Teresa has never parented in, in, in their life. You know, this is a real world. You know, we know what we're doing because yeah. we live and breathe this. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And so many professionals still need to see that actually parents can be the professionals as well. Yeah. And Especially because, like, the the spectrum is so vast. And, and people said they understand autism, but they understand probably one person with autism. But the mm-hmm. spectrum is massive, and every autistic child, even Levi and Lucas, identical twins, they're, they're completely different in their spectrum. Aren't they? they're, they're, you, you, never know, stop, yeah. you never stop learning when it, with regards to autism. Never. We don't. We never will stop learning because we see people... Uh, especially at the boys' school that, yeah. that are diagnosed and on the spectrum, and we're like, wow. When they're doing the school play, you see how you the spectrum is, don't you? It's yeah. just... Absolutely. Absolutely, and that's the thing, it is. And, you know, you have you have uh, parents that do say, well, my child doesn't do that, so that means that they're not. And, it, and you want to say, well, there's children that will and won't do certain things. Every yeah. child is the same. You know, it, you cannot just group. Um, I'm on this bit of sort of at the moment, which is the stopping of generalisations within autism. The generalisation that, or at the minute, it's that all autistic people are violent, that all autistic people are intentionally hurting others. It is such a stigma and, a, and it really, really frustrates me that people meet one autistic person and then 
label a whole community you know because that's not that's not learning what autism is you know my son is is will be completely different to your sons you know as you've even said identical twins presenting very differently on the spectrum you know and that that is the thing and i think that one thing that's really important for anyone to sort of that's listening to this is to be very open minded you know, don't shut a parent down or don't shut somebody else down just because their child doesn't present exactly like yours or like an autistic child that you met once through your cousin's auntie's dog. You know, it's yeah. that thing, isn't it? Because that's all you get all the time. My, you know, my such and such and such and such met a such and such and such and they were autistic and they never did that. And it's like, yeah. come on, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I think that's as well why, like, a lot of these late diagnoses are coming on because obviously back when we were children, they were just put down as being naughty or like, you know, such as Christine McGuinness or mm-hmm. being quite quiet. And, and and that's why a lot more of these like late diagnoses are coming up now into because people are realising that it's very vast and not everybody will be like Rain Man or whatever. It's, you know what I mean? It's just, there's a lot more learning to do into it. And like accounts like yours are getting that out there, that the difference and how people can present and, and the different types of children and adults on the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Andrea, to yeah. anybody listening to this... There's to talk about that. There's um, not many really talk about that. Yeah. Before we move on to our final bit, let's talk about picker playing. Okay. Because I don't think enough people know about this. And you are the perfect person to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, well... Um, so Pika is the eating of non-edible items. So my son is a sensory seeker. So he is constantly searching for um, something to for his vestibular system and so on. And when it comes to food as well, he's constantly mouthing objects and he's con- he eats a lot of variety of food. He loves crunchy textures and things like that. But that is not enough for him. He is constantly mouthing objects. He craves the eating of sand. Um, he wants to use a, well, on, hol- on holiday, if we give him a lollipop, he's obsessed with lollipops now because they give him a constant sort yeah. of input. But he will use sand as like a dib-dab if he gets the choice, you know. He, and he's quite sneaky with it as well because he'll, he'll wait till we're like not looking at him and next thing you know, it's in there and it's like straight in the garb. You know, we've got bark in our, in our garden for our um, play area and I'm having to have that removed because he's constantly eating it. Like it's yeah. constant. The grass, yeah. mud, um, blue tack, um, anything on the floor, plastic, it can be absolutely anything, rubber, it's balloons. You know, the things that have that have come out of my child's bottom, you will not believe because he just craves the, you know, just eating things that are not edible foods and he doesn't understand. No matter how many times you say to him, don't eat that, don't do this, taking it off him it's something he hasn't got any control over yeah. a lot of the time um so he's been for blood tests and things and a lot of the time they say oh maybe it's an iron deficiency my son does not have an iron deficiency his diet is very varied yeah. and it's that pushing again for this for another sort of diagnosis but it's that it's that lack of understanding again into it from professionals and i'm just not taking it in that what you're saying is what's happening does that does it worry you at times, or Andrea, that you know, if he is putting stuff in without you seeing, sometimes you know that 
that something will get stuck in his stomach and stuff like that. How do you manage all exactly. that? This is what this is what I've said to you. This is what I was saying to his doctors. I need this diagnosis because without this diagnosis, it won't go on his EHCP. Yeah. And if it's not on his EHCP, the professionals around him, you know, there's there isn't this you know obligation in in, in essence for him to be watched that much you know that on things to be removed and so on it needs to be in his care plan so he needs that diagnosis because it is terrifying to me absolutely you know i can hear i hear him cough and you know you're running up to your child and you're thinking please don't be choking on something and i I wonder sometimes if his stomach is full of things you know i don't know if it's you know he he was eating hair and things and and i know that obviously you know that some of it does come out and but not all of it does because, you know, you've, if you read anything about how hair digests, it can sit in yeah. the stomach for a long time. And with my son being nonverbal and also having an extremely high pain threshold, there, there is a worry of blockages happening and him not being able to communicate that with me for one. But secondly, having a higher pain threshold to put his, you know, a digestive system in danger because he won't be mm-hmm. aware of what's what's necessarily happening. So it yeah. is a complaint. You know, it's one of my main issues at the moment. Is it is it is the peaker of you know putting everything in his mouth because it is scary. Because what you know, I'd I'd hate to think of anything bigger than you know. I worry about marbles. This is like a really mm-hmm. big thing. The sense lot of the sensory toys they come you know they come with yeah. marbles like yeah. that. They come in with things that absorb water. Um, and it's and if anything goes out into a system like that. You know that what what do you, what we're gonna do if I don't know he's done it? So yeah, it's it's a, we've had it not not like that. We haven't the boys are not like that for putting all kinds of stuff in the mouth. But they used to chew like end of the school uniform, the jumper or bedding, and big lumps of like fabric would come out. And yeah. when you speak to professionals about things like that, it's like they'll just say, "Have you tried a chewy tube and stuff like that?" You think. You, you try everything, don't you? And it's that again. That yeah, yeah. It's it's the most basic thing advice you're given. Oliver has a bib. He has two bibs, and he has a lanyard with a big industrial chew. I've been through about a million, and finally yeah, found yeah. one. enough. And he has that on at all times. And he's and he and I give him, you know, crunchy cones. I give him crunchy things. I give him all, the, and he'll still go but for the, all, all yeah basically all you want is it putting down on his records for school so that they can put more in place and it's just that listening to parent thing that just it's still not happening is it with the professionals yeah. no i agree and andrea what are your top three tips for anyone listening to this chat today what would you advise top three tips um don't compare yourself to any other family that's my biggest one because if you start looking at other, other families, you're not focusing on your own because every child is different. It's great to have, you know, an understanding, obviously, and a level of sort of camaraderie and understanding each other. But your child is your child. Um, so don't compare because it also can and don't compare to neurotypical families either. Because that that as well can be very emotionally damaging yeah. for you. So focus on your own unit. Make the most of that. Um Never expect anything to stay the same for too long because life, it always changes. Things change all the time. That always happens. One minute we think we're all settled and then something happens, you know, and something new pops up and then you have to kind of get your mind in a different space. But now I'm so used to it. I'm like, oh, there'll be something new soon. You know, I don't let myself get too settled. And that's not in a negative way. 
you know, because it can be a really positive thing as well. When you're not in, when you're not in a good place, it won't last forever. You know, you will get through it. So it's that constant change. There will be progressions and things like that. And then thirdly, fight. Make sure you fight. Don't listen. Don't be brushed to one side. Um, make sure you push for everything that you and your child deserves. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't because you do um, need it. You are entitled to it. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. That's yeah. simple. I think that's the best tip, into it? That's what like we've got to do kind of all the boys' life, fight for every single like little basic thing. And we always worry about the single parents, you know, because it's more for them isn't it, to, to take on on their own. And we always say, like, you try and advise, don't you, and, and point them in the right directions. Because like you said previously, there is a lot of charities. There is a lot of help out there, but you just, it won't come to you. You kind of have to look for it and find it and ask other parents. And I think that, that that's a just really good tip for everybody. I think you've been really honest and very clear to understand, Andrea. And it's been great to have you on the Differability podcast. But before we go, what are your social media angles? So anybody who wants to reach out to you and just kind of follow follow you and get advice from you, what are your angles on social media? So thank you very much for having me, by the way. It's been lovely. Um, So it's mummyandher3.autism on Instagram and TikTok. And are you on Facebook as well and Twitter? Uh, I'm not on Facebook or Twitter at the moment. Just private account. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's been lovely to have you here on the Differability podcast and you know we will obviously be sharing your story your beautiful family that they thank are you. and it's been great to talk to you so thank you for joining us today on the Differability podcast Autism is a condition that the team at Get Cycling have a lot of experience with. We took um, Levi and Lucas down to Get Cycling in York and we had a great experience there. They were very accepting and very understanding of disabilities which was a huge relief for us and just made the whole experience really enjoyable for us as parents and for the children as well. Yeah, we took Levi and Lucas round on um, the park in York on the bikes and it were amazing. We trialled a few bikes out, uh, tested out what bike would be suitable for them next and the guys and staff were just so helpful. Um, It were a real pleasure to be there. The choice of cycles that Get Cycling have is insane. We have seen them. Um, Regardless of your ability, They have something there for everybody and they are definitely worth a visit. Some other examples, they recently had a family in with three teenage boys, all with autism and other conditions. One boy had to have an electric bike due to his kidney conditions. One boy absolutely had to have a black bike. So Get Cycling went above and beyond and had this bike properly powder coated just for him, which is insane and incredible. And the youngest had a trike that had to be read. Whatever condition your children have been diagnosed with, Get Cycling can help get them out and about on specialist bikes. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash disability to find out more and to book your own demo. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diffability. If you have enjoyed this podcast, 
found it useful or even just learned something new, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. It helps to get this show out even more where parents really do need that support. And take a look through the back catalogue. There may be more shows in this series that can help you in your journey raising a child with their very own disability.